Hello, Stephen Dan Fouts here. We're veteran educators from Illinois who've created the Teach Different podcast to model how to have unforgettable conversations using a super simple three-step protocol and quotations from some of the world's great thinkers. This protocol works with students of all ages and all types of classrooms and can be used in online or face-to-face -face environments. So if you're a teacher, administrator, social emotional learning specialist, or anybody who loves the art of conversations, you've come to the right place. Welcome. All right, welcome everybody to the Teach Different podcast. We have a really cool quote this week from Janice Joplin, who, who died tragically at the age of 27, but was a, a songwriter and really famous during the 1960s and the Woodstock generation. And she has a very interesting quote that we're going to take a look at. That is definitely a quote that you'd think that Janis Joplin came up with from the, in the 1960s. And we have a few guests with us tonight. We're going to have them introduce themselves when they first weigh into the conversation. So we're really excited about that. Um, educators who are just starting their careers, pretty much. So this is, this is really great. Um, in terms of the Teach Different protocol, we're going to walk through the quote and talk about the claim. What is Janis Joplin saying? And then we're going to push against it a little bit with, well, what's another way of looking at the world that also makes sense? Uh, let's disagree with her, right? That's the, this is how you have that conversation in, in, in the classroom. And then we'll end with an essential question and some curriculum connections. So that's the, that's the format. And so let's, let's get going. Here's her quote. And I'll say it a couple times and, and we'll, try to repeat it during the podcast so our listeners can keep it fresh. You can destroy your now by worrying about tomorrow. You can destroy your now by worrying about tomorrow. All right, what is Janice Joplin saying here? Who wants to start off? My name is Miss Susie Dean. I am a fourth year high school teacher. I teach actually at the same high school that I went to and that my dad went to. So we keep it all in the family. It's a lot of fun. But when I read this quote for the first time, it was just very clear to me that she was saying the anxiety that we feel as young people, the anxiety that we feel as students or even as teachers or in any profession is essentially the thief of our joy now. And I, I feel like, and I have seen that, especially in America, our default is to always plan ahead, always see what's next, what's better. I've achieved this. What can I achieve that I can, that, that can top that. And that's all fine and dandy, which we'll talk about later, but it's, stealing kind of the human experience. It's stealing our opportunity to appreciate looking at a tree in our neighborhood and realizing that it's bloomed new flowers. It's, it's stealing our opportunity to close our eyes and take a deep breath and feel the wind on our face and just really appreciate the small things that happen every day that are fascinating and beautiful and remind us that we are held and instead it has us just ignoring those things and making worry essentially things that haven't happened yet our priority 
Well said. Shannon, go ahead and jump in if you so want. My name is Miss um, Shannon Renshaw, and balancing off with what Miss Dean said, I am a graduating senior at Ryder University, and I just accepted my first teaching position. So I have a little bit different insight on it and the teaching perspective. But personally, I think this quote resonated with me so much. As a student in the fourth grade, I started developing a lot of anxiety and depression. And by the time I was in fourth grade to a senior in high school, I was driven with anxiety. I was a perfectionist. I wanted to be perfect in every way I could. I maintained um, over 4.0 GPA in high school. I worked two jobs. I was a varsity swimmer and I was in every club you could possibly be in, but yet I was miserable. I would come home and I'd be exhausted. And I realized that this was not the way to live. And I made a promise to myself going into my freshman year of college that I would accept less than perfection. And even though I made that statement to myself, I did not fail. I graduated college summa cum laude. I had a full ride to Ryder University and I maintained that scholarship, but I focused on myself more. I put myself forward. I went to lose over a hundred pounds in less than a year because I focused on self-care. I stopped worrying about my future so much and the catastrophic catastrophics that I would create in my head. And I stopped worrying about making everything an end of the world situation and focused and accepting failures. And I think that that's something that a lot of people need to learn that failure is not failure. It's a life lesson and it is only going to make you stronger and a better person. So something that I think is, yes, you might want to worry a little bit, but don't let it hinder your life. And your worry was about the perfection, right? Showing Absolutely. you were not the best at something was your constant anxiety. And then the minute you realized, okay, wait a minute. I mean, I'm not going to be perfect here or there or whatever. That kind of went away. And then you started, what, like appreciating the what you have? I mean, what what is she saying? My, my question to everybody is, Dan, read the quote again. You can destroy your now by worrying about tomorrow. Okay. Well, what does destroying your now mean to, to everybody? Does I that mean being, like, what's the emotion that's the destruction of the now? Or is that different for different people? I think it's self-handicapping yourself. So you okay. are being so fixated on the future that you cannot enjoy your present self. And okay. that's hindering yourself. You're not, it's almost as if you're compulsive about the future and you're obsessive where you can't move forward. So how are you living your life in the today if you're so obsessed with your future self and you're I destroying your now? I, I get that. Susie, how would you put it into your own words? Is it pretty much similar to that or what's destroying the now to you? I, that was your essential question, your, your question that you asked originally, what is destroying the now? What does that mean? That means that I'm, the hippie in me is coming out, but that means that I'm not present. I'm not grounded. I'm not, I'm not experiencing what it's like to be human. I'm not experiencing what's going on around me. Everything is just static 
And it's not something, at least when I have gone through, because I suffer from severe anxiety, when I am in those stages and I, I feel like I relate a lot with, with Miss Renshaw, um, when I'm in those stages of depression of plan or not depression, anxiety of planning ahead, it's like everything around me right now is just static noise. It doesn't matter. My time with my friends, it doesn't really matter because I'm not there. My time outside walking my dog, dog doesn't matter because I'm not there. I'm in the future. I'm planning for something that hasn't happened yet. And that more often than not, for me, I have no evidence that it will or will not happen. So it's just obsessive ruminating over things that I come up with on a whim instead of taking the time to let go physically, emotionally, mentally, and appreciate what's around me. And it prevents me from having the opportunity to learn how to trust the world around me, that the world knows what it's doing. Everything in here knows what it's doing. Me holding on is just stealing the opportunity to watch as a third party in amazement as how the world wants to lay itself out for me. Wow, that was very hippie. I did not <laughs> I did not expect that to come out. I you know, like, you you said something you said a lot of things. Both of you said I some said just a lot. really interesting things. And I just to capture one of them that your relationships suffer. And Shannon, did you say that or were you nodding in agreement when Susie said it? I think relationships do suffer when you're yeah. so obsessed with, for instance, for me, I want to be perfect in every aspect of my life, but some things fall short. And a lot of times for me, it's relationships because I'm so focused on, for instance, right now, it's planning the best lessons, making sure I'm being the best for my students. And yeah, I'm young. I'm only 22. And my friends are texting me saying, hey, do you want to go get a drink tonight? And I always decline. I'm like, sorry, like I have to teach the next day or it's Sunday and I'm preparing for the week, either meal prepping or preparing some lessons. And I'm so worried about making sure my upcoming week is perfect that I'm neglecting my friendships or maybe my relationships with my family as well. And I think that when you pull yourself in so many different aspects of your life, something's going to fall short. You're not going to be perfect in everything. And unfortunately for me, it's that communicating with my friends and family that, hey, I'm busy, but I still need to make time for you. And yeah. I think that's something that I'm destroying my now because I'm so worried about what's next and constantly over scheduling myself that. I'm not prioritizing my family and friends like I should. Yeah. And it, when you talk like that, it just reminds me of, I mean, this is my 29th year. So I've been doing teaching a long time, but I remember the first few years as if it was yesterday. And you, you guys both have like, I almost want to say this is a flashback here because you're so stressed out at the beginning of teaching and thinking about planning and, and just knowing, you know, keeping one page ahead of the kids in, in your knowledge, you realize that human beings are passing through your class and you're not even noticing them. And that, that is, I think, where a lot of this, the, 
the disappointment sometimes and stress of those early years of teaching is, you don't feel like you make those human connections with the students because you're so stressed out yourself. Is that, I mean. Can I bounce off that? So for me, it's actually the quite opposite. I love connecting with my students. I will take the time out of my day to focus on that social emotional learning and building that community environment where, for instance, today, it was Monday, we just had a weekend. I would say, what's the highlight of your weekend? Because I, I know and I, I care. And I just went to one of my students' birthday parties. It was for a third grader. And it was so important to them that I came to their birthday that I canceled something else to go to that student's birthday party because I knew how impactful that would be for them. And me and my coworker, went to the student's birthday party and I could not change how happy she was. That to me was so important that I always try to include those community building activities in my day. I want my students to know that I care about them. I care about them as individuals and that I want them to be mindful too. And learning is hard so I and stressful. And sometimes we need to take those breaks out of the day to have a normal conversation about what's going on in our life outside of school. And Those are good, to, good skills. Able to do that. That's really good to be able to do that um, this early. And yes, to me, I it. think it's more important <clears throat> to have that time during the day in order to take those breaks yeah. in order for learning to flourish. Because I think if my students are burnt out and they don't think I care about them as an individual, how are they going to learn? And right. I think by building that community aspect in my classroom will only be a catalyst for learning. Well said. Susie, where are you on this? I agree. I did not start out like that as a teacher. I'm there now, but I started out with, um, with a program called Teach for America. I was working in a Title I school in Miami in middle school, and it was tough and it was not my person. I mean, the way that the other teachers told me to teach was just not my personality. I now with my high school seniors, I tell them every day, every day at the end of the period, I love you so much. I miss you already. I cannot wait to see you tomorrow. They, I mean, we, I'm sure we'll get into it later, but the, the vulnerability that they show me is just, uh, I have to keep myself from crying in class with them. But when I first started teaching, I was fresh out of college. I had no idea what I was doing, but I knew that I wanted to get these kids to up their scores, their state testing scores. I was in a failing school. I wanted the school to not fail. And I think in, I think my initial mistake was with so much time and effort and energy on my end, trying to make perfect uh, lesson plans, perfect questions, standard aligned units and worksheets, I lost the opportunity completely to build relationships with them because, I mean, partially it's my fault. I mean, I was, I was so young. I didn't know. And then the other part was that's not what the culture was at the school. The school was, we need to not fail. We need to not get shut down the state is here, you need to perform. And I spent my entire weekends making lessons plans, uh, printing worksheets, uh, calling parents from my Google phone number to do that, that 
I, I didn't feel like I had the opportunity to get my, to, to know my kids. And I, I think that if I had the freedom for at least the first few weeks of school to just be myself and get introduction letters from them and learn about their lives, it would have made a whole world of difference. And to go back to your last question or your original question about what relationships suffered, all of my relationships suffered. And I think that that's normal for a first year teacher, especially one that, I mean, I didn't, education was not my major. I, I went into TFA because I, I was scared to ask my parents for money for, uh, uh, money for the GRE. And now I can't imagine doing anything else, but I think that that's normal to throw yourself wholeheartedly into these students, your first set of students and try to be the best and spend your entire weekends reading these boring texts from the textbook and making worksheets for them. Like my now husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, he didn't think we were going to make it. I didn't see him all week. I didn't talk to him all week. My parents were very worried about me. I, I stopped eating. It was stressful. And I think that if I felt personally, and if my coworkers encouraged me to be myself and to build those personal relationships with them first, I don't think that would have been a problem. I think it would have made all the difference. And it's the personal relationships that, that suffer when you're not living in the now, but you're always anxious mm-hmm. about the future and all this stuff. I mean, right. If you think about, I don't know, your former self or do this, we're going to move into the counterclaim right now. All right. I want you, both of you to think about somebody that you would say lives in the now, appreciates the now, isn't overly focused on being perfect or thinking about the future or being ambitious or getting from A to B. Maybe they're a little bit of a loafer, a little lazy. But I don't want to think of it as negative, but just think of someone who lives in the now, someone that would make Janice Joplin proud. Okay. What what can we say about them? I mean, can what what's the counterclaim here? I can jump on that. So I think that if you don't have a healthy amount of anxiety in your life or maybe stress for another term then you're not being ambitious. You're not thinking about how can I better myself as an individual? What can I do to make myself better? And I think we can always better ourselves. And I think that it's healthy to want to be the best person you can be, whether that's in your profession, your personal life. And I think that when you have a healthy mindset of worrying about the future, where you're not letting it hinder your life, you're helping it transition you into the next chapter of your life, that you are going to be successful because you are thinking about ways to move your life forward. You're not hindering your life. You're looking to move it forward. Where I think that somebody who is completely living in the now and not thinking about the future is not planning for anything to happen. What if, or the what ifs of life. I mean, you could think about so many what ifs, but When you have a plan set in place, at least you have a safety net. And I could look back at my old self who was so anxious and so worried and I was miserable, but that got me to where I am today. It helped build me and it helped make me realize that I don't need to worry so much. I can set back for a little bit. I can take some time for myself 
And I found that time by going to the gym. And that is something that I do for me. And I, that is something that in my day, I will not take that time away from myself because I know that when I am at the gym, I am able to better myself physically. So my mind will also be better and I will be better for my students. So I think by being selfish in some aspects is good, but you should have a balanced approach. Interesting. So what do you think, Susie or Dan? I don't mean to leave you out, Dan. Oh, Dan, hit us with it. We don't want to leave you out. I'm just enjoying Hey, look, you know what? Part of being in a good conversation sometimes (laughs) is being a good listener. So I'm going to continue to do that. (laughs) Okay. Susie. I love that for you, Dan. Okay. So someone that I know that's living completely in the now. I wish I I just wish that I could do that myself. But yes, I I see how that can be a way to hold an individual back. I mean, I, I, I'm not like that. That is my goal. I need to, my baseline is anxiety, plan A, B, and C, always come up with what 12,000 situations that could happen and prepare for them. That's my baseline. And I'm trying to counteract that. And I can see how, how, yes, someone who's living in the now is, is not harming their body with all of their cortisol levels. They're, they're not stressing out. They're enjoying, they're embracing, they're walking through, they're trusting, they're, they're living their human experience. They're living the years that so many people wish they had the opportunity to live. And when I say have the opportunity to live, I mean, not walk through, but embrace and be present for. But at the same time, I just, I, I, I really, I really relate to what Miss Renshaw was saying. I, for all of my life until like maybe two years ago, I planned everything for college and then I planned everything for teaching. So ever since I was in sixth grade, I planned, oh my gosh, I cannot come to school late because I need to get into this school. And I, in, in high school, I was like, mom, don't give me dinner because I need to study for my ACE or my AP exams. And I will not reward myself with food until after I get this done. And I had half my college tuition paid for. I knew exactly where I was going to college. I I knew exactly what I was going to do in college. And because I was so concentrated on that end goal at that time, I developed the study habits and the habits of planning and prioritizing appropriately that allowed me to get a 3.9 at UF and get honors and join different organizations and thrive within them. And I'm so grateful for all of those years. And yeah, I could have, I could have been bopping around, having fun in high school, going to parties, um, hanging out with friends, getting my late passes, my tardy passes, maybe like stressing out the assistant principals by wearing a little spaghetti strap but <laughs> and that could have been fun but I don't know if if with if without my living in the future I don't know if I would be where I am today and be able to live in the now that dream. 
Yeah. Yeah. It almost it's almost like what I'm hearing from both of you is you did have to go through that planning anxiety stage somewhat. You developed the good habits. And now it's like you can appreciate the now, right? Like if you never had to go through the anxiety and the planning, you'd probably be a little rudderless. I don't know. You Maybe you know people like this. But I, I'm just trying to – I, I, I got to share that personally. I always look back and think it may be an age developmental thing in your life, right? Like as long as you do the right things, probably when you're younger – when I say right things, I mean – worry about the planning and the dotting I's and crossing T's, getting that a little later, the appreciation for living in the moment makes some sense, but it's hard to go the opposite way, if that makes sense. And then, you know, just in, in teaching in general, I think that this conversation is depicting the challenge of being a teacher. You have to literally live in two worlds you have to live in the now and you have to be a planner if you if you don't do either one of them you're you're going to be off in this profession i think and so and i think that with years of experience with some people you know they have i i evolved into more much more appreciating the now like I always just joke with with the teachers I meet now, really, really young teachers where they have a lot of things planned, like you guys said, you know, everything mapped out. And I look at them and they, and they said, well, how do you plan? It must be um, it's so easy. And I'm like, well, actually, it's incredibly difficult now because I don't go in with 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 um, very clear plans into my lessons. I've been doing this for so long, but I understand that the now has to be my priority. I have to react to what's going on in front of me, the human relationships I'm building in the room, and then my planning has to flow from that. So it's, it, it's, it changes. How, how you do this, depending on your years of experience, it's a constant challenge. I kind of jumbled my thoughts, but no. you get the idea. The now is appreciated. I got to ask this, though, to everybody. Think of students. How are your students going to react to a quote like this? Because, hey, this whole now planning thing, that happens at every age. So how are students going to react to this? Do you think that they'll agree with the quote? I'm curious as to what you think. I personally think that there's a big correlation between stress and anxiety and the pressures that American society put on students. So for instance, I worked in a school that is located in Princeton, and a lot of the parents' philosophy is that they move to the school district in order to get their children into Princeton University or another Ivy League. And that, to me, is a lot of pressure on their child. These students are speaking multiple languages. They are extremely intelligent. They play many instruments, are a part of numerous sports and other organizations. And this all starts in middle school, this mindset. So for instance, I, student, I did a field placement in seventh grade. And in seventh grade, I would walk around the room, the teacher would leave to use the bathroom, and the kids on a spelling test would pull out the sheets and cheat because they were so afraid of failing. They would rather cheat 
and get a better grade than fail because they didn't know. But yet you would be honest that way. And there was so much pressure on these kids. And it could be self-inflicted like it was for me, or it could be put on your parents. But the school had a big pushback of no homework. They don't believe in homework. And the parents pushed back saying, no, we want homework. We came here for the rigorous education, but yet you're taking away that homework. So there's a stigmatism in American society that we need to always do more and always be worried and always be anxious that we're hindering our children. And that mindset is something that I think a lot of people are now starting to, in school districts are taking a step back from and focusing on that social emotional learning. But I just think as a society, we have self handicapped ourselves. And in order to move forward, we need to be mindful of our own feelings and putting ourselves first sometimes. So the students would probably be, maybe be those perfectionists or those ones that were all about grades. Absolutely. They might disagree, not disagree, but whatever, might look at a quote like this and say, eh, I don't know about that. Susie, what about your high school crew? So I brought this quote up to my high schoolers, my seniors today, and for the most part, they completely understood. Um, I teach... I have a very wide demographic. I teach the lowest 25% of our high school, um, the kids that are most at risk for graduating. But I also teach kids that are I have are have taken AP and ACE classes their whole time in high school and are just like trying to coast through senior year, which good for them. They deserve it. So I teach a lot of different kids, but they very strongly grasped the importance of being present with themselves and being present now and being present in high school and being present in their senior year. I had a whole bunch of responses from my students that, that said exactly that. One of my sweet, one of my sweet freaking angels said, a lot of people get too stressed out or overthink about things so much that the overthinking becomes their problem rather than what they were worried about in the first place. So my angels get it. They know. And half of them are stressed about uh, college and what's going to happen in college and what they're going to do after college. And the other half are stressed about, well, I'm not going to college, but I'm graduating high school. What am I what trade am I going to go into? And they have that temptation, of course, to just ruminate over what am I going to be successful, which can spiral into a whole other conversation about America's definition of what success is. But what am I going to do to be successful? What am I going to do to sustain myself? And am I going to, or even am I going to graduate? Am I going to, am I going to pass Miss Dean's class? Am I going to pass my science class? Am, am I going to be able to make it to graduation? And while that thought is ever present and so important for them to have because that healthy anxiety pushes them forward, it seems like they have the emotional maturity to understand simultaneously that thinking that way constantly is not helping them mentally. It's not helping them appreciate who they are and it's not helping them grow into their best form of themselves. And I, I will take a hair flip, a little bit of credit for this because since the beginning with my seniors every year, 
I have social emotional learning in class from the beginning. I have them free write uh, journal prompts. I have them talk about their feelings all the time. I have them write gratitude letters all the time. I have moments of silence all the time. I show them my crystals. I tell them how I meditate. And I, I hope, I hope that those efforts that I'm putting into the class of introspection and personal development have led to answers like these, where over the past 10 months, they've understood, yes, I do need to be more present and that the, the presence is beautiful and the future will figure itself out. And I'm doing what I can now because now is all there is. I'm doing what I can now to make that future happen. And all I have to worry about is what's happening right now. Well said, well said. Yeah. And I think I'm, you know, I'm thinking back just a little bit with, with my students, I got most of my teaching in an urban environment and underserved schools in Chicago. So I was, most of my students were certainly in the now. Now, in a, in a sense, right, because they also had the anxiety of, of where they were living and some of the violence from the neighborhoods, but it wasn't chosen anxiety. It was more like you can't, as they would say, you can't be lacking. You know, you got to know your surroundings. If you let your guard down, be careful. So that's even like a different dynamic. That's probably another conversation. But well, and also, Steve, wouldn't wouldn't you say that with your students, it wasn't anxiety for the future because they didn't think they had a future. It they was, were questioning the future. Right. It was anxiety that's different. for the now. Yeah. Uh, which is, again, that's another conversation. That's the that's trauma. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thank you for saying that's trauma. That. I mean, it is. I, that's the population that I taught when I very first started teaching. And I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful I have the opportunity to say this, and I'm sure you'll agree, but these kids, they don't, they don't have the luxury of worrying about the future because at least from what I saw with my students, they, their parents didn't expect them to go to college. And that wasn't their parents' fault. It was just the community, the resources, the lack of resources, they, they didn't have to worry. They didn't get to worry about the future because they didn't know what scholarships were. They knew that they couldn't afford college. They knew that it would be better for them and their family and their younger siblings to get involved with gangs because that was a more sustainable way to gain income for their families. So I completely agree. They, they didn't think they had a future that, that, that thought didn't, that it was it it didn't exist i i was super i was incredibly privileged from the time i was three years old i was in a cheerleading uniform from the university of florida my dad went there we went to games all the time college was always on my mind but for these students they don't even know that they have the opportunity to do things like this they don't have the people in their lives who have the knowledge or who have the resources or have the access to college advisors, SAT tutors, people who will help them with scholarships, or people who will even tell them where these scholarships are. 
And so yeah, Shannon, you, Shannon, do you, can you imagine using this quote in that way? Yeah. Yeah, I actually went to school in one of the poorest counties in New Jersey. It is actually the poorest county in New Jersey with the highest birth rate in the United States of teenage pregnancies. And unfortunately, I lived a very sheltered life. And I did not live where a lot of poverty was happening, but I lived on the outskirts of it. And my sister and I, after my graduation, went to my former hometown to pick up something from a friend's house and we had to stop and get gas. And the gas attendant was a 17 year old boy. And he was asking, he noticed my sister's sticker on her car that was at her cop of her college. And she is a division one swimmer and got a full ride. And he was asking her questions. What, like, what is that sticker? And she said, oh, that's my college campus. I go to school there. And he said, well, how did you find a school in North Carolina? And she said, well, I'm a div division one swimmer. I've got a full scholarship. And he was like, how do you get that? And she, he then asked, like, what's your major? And she said, I'm a pre-med major. And he asked all of these questions about why did you choose that? And my sister looked at me when he walked away and said, did you think those were weird questions? And I said, no, he's just curious because nobody has exposed him to the opportunities outside of his daily life. And what is so sad is that if he does not have somebody like a school counselor, a teacher, somebody else in his life teaching him those things, he will never have those. And he could have the biggest potential in the, in the world and could be so brilliant. But when you do not have opportunities that puts you back, it hinders your success. And that is so sad. And I think that is, there's a disparity in education. Yes, it is equal, but depending where you live is the opportunities you have. And I feel so sorry for children living in lower income um, districts, because if they do not have somebody teaching them how to get scholarships, how to get out, then they will stay and the cycle will continue. Yeah, and they'll have to make their own way. And, you know, many, many are able to, and everyone has different challenges, right? And sure. I think that what would make the quote interesting is based on what the students are like, they're, the idea of fear and what the now means is going to be so different. You know, it, it, so that's what I think will be really interesting, and that's going to come out in the conversation. Yeah, and I, building on that, I think this quote and this conversation would be a great way to learn about your students and their backgrounds and their aspirations and their fears and their, you know, a lot of these conversations can be 20 minutes where you just do this at the beginning of the year or just do it at the beginning of a unit or if you just have 20 minutes of lala time or whatever, toss it in there. The, the personal connections you can make with a very short conversation like this, you can learn about them and then build them into your curriculum more because you'll just know more about your, your students. And so that's, that's the value. I think that's the SEL value of this particular conversation would be, would be really good. Well, well, this has been just a, a really great, great discussion. Really appreciate your guys's perspectives and coming from from different angles on this and I think we really we really looked at this quote in an in-depth way and I, I felt like we gave the counterclaim good oxygen you know what I mean we didn't it's not about just agreeing with one way you gotta 
look at the other way. And we got to model that for our kids so that they walk out critical thinkers and the, with the ability to make their own decisions in, in life. So here's an essential question to kind of wrap up uh, here, just something to think about. Should we worry about our future? All right. Well, thank you so much, Susie and Shannon. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. We hope you're walking away feeling energized by some great ideas and are confident that conversations like this are possible. It's just a little bit of planning and a three-step routine. Make sure you go to teachdifferent.com to learn more and try out some conversations we have already for you. Don't forget to teach different with conversations and make a difference every day.